Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Wednesday. It's May 31st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Little DeAndre Hopkins talk, some Arizona Diamondbacks, your phone calls, 602-260-1060 at 11.15. If you'd like to chime in, Before I reset the poll questions for the hour, I do want to congratulate our winner who is off to Putting World located in Scottsdale, 16259 North Scottsdale Road. Great food and drinks at Bar 19. You can get help with your putting stroke and fit into the right putter. Uh, You know, we oftentimes think about getting fit for the driver or the irons, but never the putter. It's time to, you know. Drive for show and putt for dough, right? Uh, You can get uh, all that help with the performance studios, all the technology and coaches that you could need. With the heat coming, get out of the heat. Enjoy some bragging rights with friends and family at Putting World at their 18-hole putting course at puttingworld.com. And I do want to make one more mention about things happening on the PGA Tour here. As I mentioned, there are 12 more events remaining before the FedEx Cup playoffs get started. Remember this here. With the changes that took place to the PGA Tour, and then we're going to have to rechange and recalibrate everything for next year. But it used to be the top 125 advancing to the first FedEx Cup event. This year, it's going to be the top 70. There's still 12 more events, so plenty of golf left to go. Major championships, elevated events left to get yourself catapulted into the top 70. But here are some names that are currently on the outside looking in at the top 70. Justin Thomas is 71st. Cam Davis is 73rd. Adam Scott is 87th. I was hard-pressed to believe that Adam Scott was 87th because he seems to be always on the leaderboards at big events, and and I guess it's just he's on leaderboards for round one, and then by round four, he's finishing in the middle of the pack. So that's kind of a little surprising to me when I saw that. Shane Lowry is in 93rd, and Billy Horschel, who is the defending champion this week at Muirfield Village for Jack's tournament, uh, is 108th. He is having, uh, he's struggling this year, to say the least. So we'll see how all of that continues to shape up with the Memorial, with the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs looming, with the U.S. Open on the horizon. Plenty of golf coverage left here on the extra point. But as we typically do, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is... More accurate from Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat won or the Celtics lost. And the Heat won continuing to lead significantly 88% of the vote. Celtics losing at 12%. So, I guess maybe it shouldn't have been that surprising because Boston ended up uh, going 5-6 and six at home during the playoffs. And uh, the uh, home team won two of the seven games in this series in the Eastern Conference Finals. So... Uh, maybe not uh, terribly shocking at the end, but then after the uh, you know the Heat uh, lost you know games you know four through six, there was uh, 
I, I must admit, I got a little tired of all the you know Red Sox comparisons. ESPN brought Johnny Damon on the uh, one of the, on the Sports Center, and so I was just kind of uh, you know thought it was kind of a slight to the Red Sox, quite frankly, because the, the Celtics had not yet come back from down zero three, and at that time. Uh, when the uh, Red Sox did it to the Yankees, that uh, they became the first baseball team that did that. Well, I guess another thing that didn't make uh, Boston fans happy. So the Celtics were, uh, they, they lost to an eight seed and the Bruins lost to an eight seed. Uh, yeah. So those were not good memories there for the 2023 playoff run in Boston sports this season. Yeah, I don't follow the hockey. They they lost to the Florida Panthers too, right? The, the Bruins, I believe. Correct. So, not good. South Florida against uh, New England. Yes, and South Florida represented in multiple different championships here this summer. On Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, who should have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, Jimmy Butler or Caleb Martin? Jimmy Butler continues to lead the way at 66.7% of the vote, Caleb Martin at 33.3%. Jimmy Butler, of course, the one who won the trophy. He did, and yeah, Butler certainly stepped up uh, in that game seven. Uh, you know, Martin got him started, and Butler, I think, kind of took him home as far as that game goes. And as I mentioned previously, the last couple hours, there seemed to be some confusion amongst some of the people even voting whether this was for the Eastern Conference, uh, for the Eastern Conference playoffs, or whether it was for the Eastern Conference finals that they were voting on. We'll answer that question around 11.30 today. Still time for you to cast your vote. As of yesterday afternoon, DeAndre Hopkins, officially a free agent. Reminder that the Cardinals chose to cut him and assume the 2020, 2020- or $22.6 million cap hit this season. So they won't have any cap hit moving forward here. Uh, but 2020, goodness gracious, $22.6 million and the cap hit this season. The Chiefs and the Bills continue to be the most talked about landing spots for Hopkins. But another potential suitor has uh, come into play here with the Browns. Could they potentially right. be in on D-Hop? And I guess this has gotten started because of Deshaun Watson making uh, himself available to the media yesterday, talking about how he talks to D-Hop regularly and that the team would love to have him. Yeah, I'm going to preface my next comments here by saying I've been sucked into the Browns in the past, in the last you know, 20 years. Uh, but I'm also starting to get sucked in a little bit by the Browns this year. But that division... Uh, the AFC North could be really good and uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, so I'm not really sure how I would wager on such a thing at this point. But uh, I think there's some interesting pieces already in Cleveland. Uh, Watson with a full season of offseason and not the delay during the season and so forth. Uh, you know, it's hard to you know, imagine he's going to be worse than he was last year, but I think he would be significantly better. And I think a lot of people have uh, almost forgotten how good he was in uh, his best days in Houston. And who was his receiver, major primary wide receiver in those good days? That would be one DeAndre Hopkins. And certainly the Browns have tried to 
upgrade the wide receiver position group here. They traded for Elijah Moore in the offseason. They used their third-round pick on Cedric Tillman. They signed Marquise Goodwin. They brought in Amari Cooper. They have him for two more years. So certainly uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, would there be room for him in this wide receiver group? And, And also how much would that connection, though, with Watson just make everybody more comfortable? Uh, I think that there's room, and uh, I think that uh, you know that there wouldn't be any problem with the comfort level. And I, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of offensive line injuries in the NFL throughout last season, uh, and a lot of you know multiple offensive, you know, multiple teams had you know major offensive line issues because they had several guys get hurt, and Cleveland had a couple of injuries. But I think a lot of people still believe that the Browns, when healthy, still have one of the best offensive lines in the league. They have Nick Chubb. Their defense, they've got some stud players. They need to probably get a little bit more consistent at all three levels, however. Uh, but you know, Cleveland's got some things going for it. Uh, so I just feel like this is going to happen for probably the rest of his career. Uh, you know, now that uh, Hopkins has been released, the articles have started flowing in for what does this mean for Kyler Murray? And Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports wrote a story that had uh, an AFC general manager offering up his thoughts on where DeAndre Hopkins goes. But then that general manager posed the question, what do you think they do with Murray? So Robinson points out here that it seems like an odd question to ask and to pose with a 25-year-old quarterback who just signed a five-year, $230.5 million extension that the plan should be, would be, you would think it would be, to get him healthy, back on the field, and you start rebuilding around him once again. Robinson points out that, though, the general manager who drafted Kyler Murray, the head coach that really wanted Kyler Murray, are now no longer with the organization. Uh, So then he goes on to say that the more you get into how this money-wise works for DeAndre Hopkins being cut, how this really suggests that they're fully embracing the rebuild and how this could potentially set things up for the Cardinals moving forward, that they have what could be a very high draft pick all on their own based upon this roster and talent-wise. They then have Houston's first rounder for 2024. So if the new regime really is all in on Caleb Williams, Charles Robinson even threw in Drake May, that it could make for some really interesting decisions for the Cardinals in 2024. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with this whole Robinson. You know, we we had Charles Robinson on this show back in the day, uh, you know, several times. I think he's a really smart NFL guy, and uh, I think this whole you know so-called I'm going to use this term blueprint uh, for the Cardinals' future. I, I can see how they actually do this. So, yeah, I'm not uh, that privy and uh, understand the 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 you know, salary cap implications down the road, but. You know, I, I would certainly, you know, I don't think anybody's listening to this show over the last couple of years would be shocked that I wouldn't be completely upset if the Cardinals figure out a way to get Murray out of here. Uh, so Charles Robinson helps us out with the money. 
How does it all work? So with cutting DeAndre Hopkins now, it allows the Cardinals flexibility if they wanted to cut or trade Murray to spread it out over the 2024 and 2025 seasons against the cap using that June 1st designation. It would be a considerable amount of money, though, for the Cardinals to assume. $48.3 million in 2024 and $33.2 million in 2025 against the cap. Robinson points out here, though, that teams like the Rams did this with Jared Goff. Teams like the Eagles did this with Carson Wentz. Both of those teams have gone on to win Super Bowls after making those moves. And the Packers just did it with Aaron Rodgers. So he certainly says that it is something to pay attention to. Yeah, I'll just add to that that uh, I think the Cardinals certainly are doing the right thing uh, as far as the cap situation with the Hopkins uh, departure last weekend. And I don't really foresee the Cardinals being any good for the next two or three years. It would be pretty shocking. So even more reason why Murray shouldn't be here, in my opinion. Buda Baker, uh, he also had made news the Friday before the draft got started that he, you know, either wanted to become the highest paid safety or to be traded. Uh, Buda Baker told Cameron Cox of 12 News that he'll rejoin the Cardinals when it's time to be there. I'll be there smiling, same regular guy that I am, just excited to see those guys again. He continued on with, I'm just letting the business aspect handle the business aspect, letting my agent handle all of that type of stuff. Buddha has two years left on his deal, which averages $14.75 million annually, which according to Over the Cap, has him currently as the seventh highest paid safety. Sure seems like he's just trying to get a better contract, whether it's here or somewhere else. Uh, that may be true here. Um at first, when this all came down, I kind of thought that it was more seeing the fact that the rebuilding is going to take place, just how competitive he was. We saw all of those uh, inspirational locker room comments on hard knocks. Uh, he just seemed to be the emotional leader, really took it to heart how the team struggled and, and certainly some struggles on the defensive end as well. Uh, so I just kind of originally took it as he, that he wanted to lay it all out there for a team that was going to have the opportunity to win more games. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. The whole you know, chronology here, you know, he you know, demanded the trade, etc. Actually, did he demand a trade or request a trade? However, whatever the phrasing was of that. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, like I think there's more and more people seemingly around the league that now think that uh, he, and I don't blame him. I don't blame any NFL player that's, uh, you know, more than other sports because of the, uh, you know, the physicality and uh, the violence of the NFL and your career can end uh, in any sport I know on the next play, but more so in the NFL. Uh, so I don't really blame, I don't really blame any NFL player that's, uh, you know, in it to the in in, in for you know more concern. Maybe that's a wrong term, but uh, you know, showing more concern about the, your fi- their financial future than they are maybe what team they're playing for. 
The Cardinals continue voluntary OTAs uh, this week, so we'll see who's around, who's not, and, of course, uh, take away anything that is mentioned to the media this week as well. Uh, Phone calls if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060. We'll get to you now and talk to you on the other side of the break. In addition to that, the Diamondbacks topped the Rockies yesterday 5-1. We'll get into more about that series going around the NL West and some of the other games that have caught our attention. So some Major League Baseball and Diamondbacks topics on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060 if you'd also like to join the program. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KDUS 1060 app. Wednesday, May 31st, it is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, they topped the Rockies yesterday 5-1. to one. It was a Zach Gallen start. He got back to being Zach Gallen we're accustomed to seeing. Six innings, five hits, no runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. In addition to that, Corbin Carroll. He uh, becomes the first Diamondbacks player to have multiple games of two or more stolen bases and one or more home runs in the same game. Yeah, and uh, you know, I threw a pipeline question today. Is he their best player? I actually think that Christian Walker, at least right now, if you call Walker's gold glove defense, is still the Diamondbacks' best player. But Carroll, I think they're getting even more than they imagined they would get for at least this year from Corbin Carroll. And uh, yeah, well and worth the investment that they made uh, before the season even started as far as Mr. Carroll goes. As far as a few other things, you know, they've played you know, multiple games since we were here last Friday. You know, first up, I think Sunday's win against Boston was really important. Uh, they were, you know, they were, you know, they basically Chris Sale dominated them on Friday night, and Brandon Fott had another home run derby outing on Saturday. Uh, so they were on the verge of being swept, possibly, but they avoided that with the Sunday win. Merrill Kelly was really good in that game through season-high pitches and and was uh, you know, through. He actually had ten or more strikeouts in that game. Uh, That's the second time he's had a double-digit strikeout game this season. So the Diamondbacks have yet to be swept in a series this season. Uh, Zach Davies uh, came back over the weekend. I think fought pitch Friday night. My bad. Uh, and Davies pitched Saturday night. Uh, but uh, Davies, uh, you know, as you would expect, back from injury, was not sharp. Uh, he needed 76 pitches to get just 10 outs, and he gave up two runs and five hits, walked a couple guys, struck out three. But they made it through that game okay. At least he did health-wise, it appears he's fine. I mentioned Brandon Fott. They sent him out. They had no choice. Um, in four starts, he ended up with an 837 run average, and his his whip was just an awful 1.65. Opponents were hitting 316 against him, and in 23rd and two thirds innings, he gave up eight home runs and had just 18 strikeouts. Hardly any swing and miss. Speaking of swing and miss, though, 
Dre Jamison, uh, as I've mentioned before, of all the pitchers the Diamondbacks have brought up the last couple years, I think he has the potential to actually be a legitimate Major League starter. Not really sure about the rest of these guys, but he, if he has command, he's really good. And he had command and swing and miss on uh, on uh, on Monday when he pitched the first game in that Colorado series. He actually came within one out of getting a four-inning save. He ended up pitching three and two-thirds innings. Didn't walk anybody, which for him is a huge step in the right direction. Had six strikeouts. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, apparently when he went to the minor leagues this season, after he had the bad start to the season here with the parent club, uh, you know, at least for one game, it looked like that he's at least solved some of his command issues. And if he does that, you know, on just a semi-consistent basis, he's got a chance to be really a good pitcher. Uh, tonight, the Rockies, they're sending uh, Dinlinson Lamette, who's 1-1, one one, 12.66 ERA, 13 strikeouts against Tommy Henry for the Diamondbacks, 2-1, 4.50 ERA in 18 strikeouts. Lamette's an interesting guy. He was a really highly regarded prospect with the Padres, had tons of arm issues. They ended up using him as a reliever uh, at one point because they just didn't think he could stay healthy enough as a starter. Uh, when he's on, he's really good. Um, you know, so the Rockies are giving him a chance. I don't know how much of a fair chance you get when you're pitching your home games in Coors Field, but tonight's game is here. Uh, so, yeah, he certainly has a lot of swing and miss and strikeout potential. So it'll be interesting to see how he does against the Diamondbacks and how they do against him. And the Diamondbacks' current lineup, I don't know if they really have anybody uh, that has seen him a lot because, you know, his days with the Padres against the Diamondbacks, most of those dudes are gone. Around the NL West, the Padres beat the Marlins 9-4 to yesterday. They're sending Blake Snell to the mound, who's 1-6. 5.04 ERA, 54 strikeouts against Braxton Garrett, who's 1-2, 4.50 ERA, 47 strikeouts. Blake Snell has been so bad that, you know, I'm in a semi-deep uh, fantasy league and mixed league. He got he got dropped. He you know, just, just let him go. And uh, I know somebody has since picked him up in this league, but it just shows you that one owner was so frustrated, with good reason, with Snell. If I had him, I would probably drop him, but I've never been a Blake Snell fan, so I don't think I've – actually, I had Blake Snell like for a month once at the end of one season when he was pretty good, but uh, never been a Blake Snell fan. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, The Padres, you know, they're supposed to get Manny Machado. This is like a day-to-day -day thing. He was supposed to be, like, activated yesterday in Miami. He's actually with the team now. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he, you know, I don't think, I don't know if he, he was in New York, I think, for the Yankees series. They played the Mets and the Yankees, and then they went to Florida. It's been a long trip for them. Uh, but now it appears that uh, you know, Machado's not going to be back until Friday when they're back in San Diego, even though he's already, he's in Miami now. He went through a workout yesterday and, Speculation was he was going to be activated, but he was not. So we'll see what happens. And Machado often would not a good offensive start before he got hurt. 
Uh, then you have the Pirates beating the Giants 2-1 to yesterday. Mitch Keller's going for the Pirates today. 6-1, 3.01 ERA, 85 strikeouts against Alex Wood. 1-0, 3.51 ERA, 26 strikeouts. The Giants were really good and have been really good in the month of May. Uh, one of the best records in baseball in the month of May. And they're starting pitching. Wood's been off and on. Uh, but, you know, Webb has been tremendous. Uh, their starting pitching has really bolstered this turnaround in the month of, uh, in the month of April, excuse me, the month of May after a bad April. They still, at least as of uh, you know, Sunday, had the most errors of any team in Major League Baseball, and they've still won some games here late, lately. But uh, I'm not completely buying this with the Giants, but they're definitely playing better. Dodgers beat the Nationals 9 to 3 yesterday. Today it's going to be Noah Syndergaard 1 and 4, 6.27 ERA, 33 strikeouts against Patrick Corbin, 4 and 5, 4.88 ERA, 40 strikeouts. Yeah, if you're into prop betting, I guess you know, anybody that's uh you know, facing Syndergaard, uh if you have a stolen base prop on the over, just take the over because he's the worst pitcher in baseball holding runners on base before this year when they changed the rules. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Bad news for the Dodgers. Not terrible, but, you know, the, the Julio Urias, uh, who went on the injured list, what, almost a couple of weeks ago and is supposed to be back here soon. Uh, he had a setback, and he's not going to be back at least this week. Uh, we'll also see what happens. You know, Gavin, Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller are the two prospects they brought up and started last week. Stone has uh, got clobbered again, and I don't know if he's officially been sent back to AAA, but I think he's going to be if he hasn't been already. And Miller, though, looks like he's pretty legit. I mean, he's had a couple of really good starts to begin his major league career, and he's been long considered, at least in my opinion. It seems like I've been hearing about Bobby Miller for several years now, uh, but one of the top pitching prospects in baseball and uh, he's off to a nice start in his major league career so far. When we take a look at the NOS standings, the Dodgers continue to lead at 34 and 22. The Diamondbacks are just behind at 32 and 23. The Giants now above 500 at 28 and 27. The Padres 25 and 29, and the Rockies sitting at 24 and 32. Uh, you then have the A's topping the Braves two to one yesterday, and that's two in a row for the A's. First time they won a home series this year, and they did it against Atlanta, who is here on Friday night to begin a series against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, the A's, remember the, uh, the season win total was 59 and a half, uh, and I didn't have enough guts to bet that under. I wish I had, because it seems there's almost no chance they're going to get to 59 and a half. And as uh, we've mentioned several times, not only do they have the worst roster in Major League Baseball right now, I think the case can be made that they have the worst roster of any Major League Baseball team this century. I was going to ask you, are they already paying that out? A winner for the under? Uh, the Brewers and the Blue Jays. <laughs> Julio Tehran, 0-1, 1.80 ERA, 5 strikeouts. Alec Manoa, 1-5, 5.53 ERA, 46 strikeouts for the Jays. Yeah, Julio Tehran in base still in baseball. It was uh, news to me when he started with the, for the Brewers last week. I thought he was long gone, uh, and uh, you know he was a opening day starter for many years with the Atlanta Braves, and he was on a couple of fantasy teams I had. But this is like six, seven, eight years ago 
when he was at his you know top and uh, at the highest of his uh, you know his peak as far as a pitcher goes. Manoa has just been a disaster so far. Uh, his he, he's had no problem in the past, at least the last year or two, uh, throwing strikes. This year, it's just uh, he has no idea where the hell the ball is going. In fact, at heading into this week, he had the most walks per nine innings of any starter in baseball. That's a terrible stat if you're a starting pitcher. Phillies and Mets, uh, Aaron Nola, 4-3, 4.59 ERA, 60 strikeouts, going up against Carlos Carrasco, 1-2, 6.75 ERA, and 15 strikeouts. Yeah, coming around a little bit to the Mets. Um, they got to figure out which of these young players that they want to play on a daily basis. They're only four games behind the Braves now after the Braves uh, you know, losing the last two days at Oakland. Uh, so we'll see. But you know, they've got several young players. Buck Showalter, not exactly known to be liking young players and playing young players early. But they've got a whole bunch of dudes, including Alvarez, uh, behind the plate who has been much better defensively than he was advertised before he ever got to the major leagues. So we'll see what's going on. The one thing for the Mets is that they need their starters. You know, they've had lots of injuries in their rotation, including Carrasco, among others, and DeGrom, and, Schur, and, uh, and, and DeGrom's gone. Uh, you know, Verlander and Scherzer, they've actually, their starters began the week with the fewest innings starts, uh, fewest innings pitched so far per start of any team in baseball. So that's got to change if they're going to have any kind of long-term uh, long-term success this season. So, Bob, the Cheez-It Bowl had moved to Orlando, but I guess the Cheez-It oh, Bowl yeah. is no longer going to be the Cheez-It Bowl. Enter oh. in the Pop-Tart Bowl. Oh, I had Pop-Tarts this morning. I knew it. Brown, brown sugar cinnamon. Excellent. Breakfast, you know, breakfast of champions. I wouldn't go that or far. More, or, or at least breakfast of me. There we go. Breakfast for uh, Bob. Uh, did I've you toast them? Six o'clock. That's a, a bit of, yes, okay. I did. Well, microwaved. Does that count? Um, but, no. Uh, I've been up since six o'clock this morning. That's the only thing I've had to eat today. All right. So you're a little hungry then, too. Yeah, there'll be some food at like 12.15. <laughs> Poll question time. It's coming up next right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro with you. We'll get to the poll questions in just one second. Pac-12 has announced week zero. It's going to be Saturday, August 26th. San Jose State at USC on the Pac-12 network. ASU gets their season started Thursday, August 31st, as they host Southern Utah. That'll be on the Pac-12 network. As for the U of A, they get their season started Saturday, September 2nd, as they are hosting NAU. That'll also be 
on the Pac-12 network. So the first three weeks have been uh, released across the Pac-12 and I'm sure also across college football as well. It is a couple quick things. Caleb Williams in week zero, the Heisman Trophy winner. And some believe that the Cardinals are tanking for Caleb. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, however, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of witty phrase if there's not one already that I don't know. And uh, last time, if I remember correctly, that any of you played in Tucson, they won against the U of A. That is correct. They pulled off that massive upset. Um, and we were carrying that game right here on KDOS AM 1060. Look how that works out. Yeah. Speaking of KDOS AM 1060, let's get into today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is more accurate from Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Heat won or the Celtics lost? I think the Heat won. I mean, I mentioned earlier they were went on a 14-4 run in the first quarter. They led 25-15 at the end of that quarter. Maybe a case you can make for the Celtics lost is that was the fewest. Uh, that the 15 was the fewest first quarter points the Celtics had of any game this season, regular season or postseason. And uh, to me, they were never quite in the game. You mentioned the six for 42 uh, from behind the arc for the game. They started zero for 10 in that first quarter from behind the arc. In the Heat, they played. Yeah, zone, they played zone, really a lot of zone this entire, they play zone a lot against anybody. I'm curious to see if this is going to work against Denver, but that's another topic we'll get into tomorrow, I'm sure. But they they played you know, zone for you know, a large chunk, at least comparison to other teams, in this series. And seven games into the series, the Celtics still couldn't seem to quite figure out how to solve that zone. And uh, they didn't take advantage of Celtics of the you know, size advantage they had against Miami in nearly every position. So I guess I'm making a case for both. But I'm on the Heat side here. In the game seven specifically, it's inexplicable to me how the Heat, the smaller Heat, could have a 16, a 13, a 16-13 advantage, 16-13 advantage in second chance points. And the one thing that was much different than the games that the Celtics won earlier in the series. The Heat in Game 7 had a 17-9 to fast break points advantage. So I'm going the Heat uh, on the side that the Heat won the game. I'm also on the Heat won the game. I don't know if things would have been different here and if the tone was really set early on with Jason Tatum's ankle, first play of the game, twist that. Uh, but in general, I think that the Heat were just playing more free. They were playing their game. They disrupted what the Celtics wanted to do. Uh, the Celtics were unable to take advantage of any sort of size mismatch. I know that we had uh, the reports later about Robert Williams and uh, his illness that he was dealing with in Game 7. So that that may have played a factor into some of the rotations that Joe Mazzilla was left with for the Celtics. Um, but definitely just continuing to throw up threes and have no success uh, certainly, I, I think, just lent itself to what the Heat wanted to do. And they were able to just take advantage of confusing the Celtics. Uh, you mentioned the zone. I mean, being a full court press and then dropping into a zone and they were never able to really get uh, into a flow of their offense like they would want. They seem to really just be pressing and uh, making making mistakes. And I think that that was caused by uh, the Heat really turning it up a notch. And I thought that it was interesting as well that 
you had the chance for the Heat to have a, a mindset and a philosophy of like demoralization for thinking that they had the win with Jimmy Butler making the three free throws and then uh, Derek White with the putback to send it to a game seven. And yet they came out as the team that had all of uh, everything to play for. They didn't just lose three in a row. Like they came out ready to go. And so I'm going to say that the heat won this. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, Spolster's comments, uh, you know, about Martin, uh, you know, we'll get to, I'm sure that uh, again in the next question here, but you mentioned that earlier, you know, Malcolm Rogdon, in his post-game press conference, came out and said that the his team, the Celtics, they were tight. And uh, I forget exactly the phrase he used for the Heat. It was like, you know, loose and free or whatever, uh, something along those lines. But I think that pretty much sums up how, what the team, the mentality of the two teams were. I think it was pretty obvious early in that game. And I really don't think the Tatum injury had anything to do with this. The Celtics just seemed to kind of buckle under the pressure of playing at home in Game 7 and the fact that they were already horrible at home in this postseason they ended up losing that game and going 5-6 and six at home for the postseason. It's always interesting because it worked, right? Like, it worked for, for Jimmy Butler to say things like, well, we've been in this position, we won't uh, have this happen again in, in terms of losing a Game 7 to the Celtics. He had, well, we're going up to Boston and we're getting a win. You had Eric Spolstra saying uh, that, well, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to win. So, obviously, the mindset of having that positive talk uh, is certainly reverberated around the the locker room. It's always interesting, though, because they did go out and they win, so we're not crucifying the confidence. On the flip side of that, if they didn't win, then we would say, oh, look at that, you know, overconfidence, cockiness, arrogance that we're going to go get a win. Well, yeah, but along those lines, I mean, Butler all but guaranteed they were going to win game six. So how'd that go? So Not well. He didn't yeah, play well. They, Right. If they'd win, if they'd won the series, uh, excuse me, if they'd lost the series, I'm sure that you know, that uh, game six proclamation that he made would have been gotten a lot more attention after the series concluded. The masses, though, they're still on the heat. One side of things here, 78% of the vote. The Celtics lost up to 22% of the vote. This is the KDOS1060.com poll question. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, who should have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, Jimmy Butler or Caleb Martin? Jimmy Butler obviously won the award. In Game 7, Martin, 11 of 16, 4 of 6 from 3, 26 points, 10 rebounds. All series long, he was consistent. He never shot the ball worse than 41.7% from the floor, and he was consistently above 54% from uh, the field on most of the nights in this series. He became an offensive scoring option when certainly he was needed. Jimmy Butler, he's the star. We know that. Uh, We've seen some otherworldly performances from him in these playoffs. Uh, We certainly saw what he was capable of doing in the first two games in Boston to get the series started. But I feel like Caleb Martin elevated himself. He gave them everything that they absolutely needed night in and night out, that consistency factor. Being able to have an opportunity to win game six, I think, was because of Caleb Martin. Having the opportunity to win game seven and kind of setting the tone I think was also because of uh, Caleb Martin so I would have given it to Caleb 
I can see both sides of this. Yeah, I asked this question to Dan Favell, Bleacher Report, uh, back in the sports zone today. And yeah, he was on the Caleb Martin. He made a case for Martin, but he also said, uh, paraphrasing what Dan said, but if you're going to make a, a case for for Butler, is what he does. And uh, he had some, some very good moments in game in the game six, and not just the three free throws, but yeah, he you know they're down you know 12 points in that game in the fourth quarter, and he led the comeback and made the three three uh, three free throws. Three free throws? There we go. Uh, I think I got that right the 15th time. Uh, but uh, the fact that you know, he is getting so much of the defensive attention, that opens it up for every other player they have. Uh, definitely true on that front. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he leads the way at 66.7% of the vote. Caleb Martin sitting at 33.3%. This is on Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060. I thought it was interesting as well because they actually like told you who um, – who voted for who uh, in, in terms right. of the nine people that had votes. And Reggie Miller had spent so much time on the broadcast praising yeah. Caleb Martin. I was stunned to see that he voted for Jimmy Butler. Well, there seems to be, as I mentioned in the, you know, a couple times already, there seems to be some confusion, uh, at least for some of the voters. Uh, Doris Burke might have fallen in this category, too. Whether this was an award for the Eastern Conference playoffs or whether it was for the Eastern Conference finals. And Miller seems to be one of the ones, at least it's been speculated, that he's one of the ones that was confused of what they were actually voting for. Not good. Not good. Uh, especially when there's like sometimes there's contract implications attached to these things. Yeah, and- I don't know if there is. Is there. Is there. I didn't know there was for this specifically, but. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I can't imagine there's a clause in Caleb, Mar- you know, <laughs> Caleb Martin's contract that if he wins the uh, MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals, he gets some kind of bonus. Probably not for him. Uh, there's certainly betting implications on the line. That's true. Which maybe don't bet on some subjective viewer poll. I don't believe I've ever done such a thing. We wrap up the this edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It's coming up after the break. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. point on this wednesday may 31st bob kemp caleb mortellaro with you and it's that time once again bob it's thank you time as always we thank you for listening a special thanks to the callers emailers tweeters texters whomever and whatever else sip the cracks also our guest today uh dan favale from bleacher report we got a finals nba finals preview also, uh, some son's coaching uh, speculation and uh, opinion from Dan, among other things. Sound of the day courtesy of, T, uh, let's see here, uh, TNT, ESPN, Bally Sports Arizona, 
WCBS 880, that's the Mets flagship station in New York City. Also, special thanks, as always, to uh, Kayla and obviously uh, Corey and Aaron. And uh, Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next, from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6 tonight. Uh, so the Indianapolis 500, it was a, a fun race. It ended, I've never seen anything like it, with three red flags in the last 15 laps to go. So it took forever for the final 15 laps to get complete. Uh, they ended up basically starting from uh, pit, pit lane to green flag to get in one final lap uh, to crown the winner of Joseph Newgarden uh, being able to pass and then hold off Marcus Erickson. To no surprise, though, the top viewing markets for the Indianapolis 500, always usually Indianapolis. They had a 9.5 rating, Dayton coming in at 6.3. But this was surprising to me. Coming in at number nine, Phoenix, 4.5 rating for the Indianapolis 500 that took place on Sunday. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. The Heat and the Celtics game seven averaged 11.9 million viewers. Uh, it ended up being the most watched NBA Eastern Conference Finals game ever on TNT and the third most watched NBA telecast ever on TNT. Landing on Memorial Day on Monday, I think certainly helped this uh, in addition to it being a game seven. Wonder how many people are watching in the fourth quarter. Ooh, I don't know. Probably not 11.9 million. Or maybe at the, the start 11, of the the fourth quarter, yeah. and then by the end, not 11.9 million. Yeah, I got the. Uh, I would say even by the midway through the third quarter, um, I got the under 11.9. The Diamond Sports, they have skipped rights fee payments to the Padres. So now Major League Baseball is producing and distributing the Padres game. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen here. Obviously, this could have potentially been a possibility with things going on with Diamond Sports and the bankruptcy. And then I think Diamond Sports and the Padres were going back and forth on some streaming issues. And so Diamond decided they were not going to make their payment. But for a team that has gone all in with their roster construction and largely due to the TV money that they were able to sign, now that they don't get that payment, what is going to happen? For the Padres? Yeah. Uh, nothing, because their owners got it's more money than anybody on the planet. So, you know, that's uh, basically he's you know, said many times that you know, I mean, he, he's this isn't like some kind of a conglomerate. I mean, it's basically him if I got all my you know, ducks in a row here. But, uh, you know, I remember we talked to Bob Nightingale, who will join us tomorrow, by the way, at 9.15 and talk Major League Baseball. When we talked with Nightingale during the offseason, you know, they're just, you know, he, he's got money and he wants to spend it and they're spending it. Fascinating stuff there going on uh, with the Padres, Major League Baseball, and the distribution of games. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.